overall selection in the 2022 NHL Draft belongs to the Philadelphia Flyers. Number four, the Seattle Kraken. Number three, the Arizona Coyotes. Number two, the New Jersey Devils. The first overall selection in the 2022 NHL Draft belongs to the Montreal Canadiens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host today, TJ Branson. Today, we are closing out the Dynasty series, at least the interview parts of it. We have one more episode coming out later this week that's going to be somewhat of a Dynasty mailbag. So if you got any like Dynasty questions, you can hit us up in the Discord. You can add us on Twitter or whatever you like at FHF Hockey, and we'd be happy to answer your questions on the show, get into kind of a discussion. It'll be the three of us again. Today, we got Mitch Brown coming on to talk about some prospects. Same thing we've been doing here in this Dynasty series. We want to find the category specialists, find the guys with the point ceilings, and maybe some late round steals for us too, if we stocked up on later picks in our dynasties. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Here's Mitch. Mitch, great to have you on the show again. Third year in a row? Third year in a row. Yes, it is. (laughs) Thanks for coming back. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you on. So what we want to do here is, you know, we have this fantasy lens that we're trying to look through and a, a lot of the rankings out there are they're taking into account things like, you know, hockey IQ and and real life, the tangibles and those kind of things that don't matter to us when our counting stats, when we're trying to beat the guy on the other end of the of the phone or the computer or whatever in, in fantasy. So what we're trying to do is just find that value for fantasy here. So Mitch, um, before we get started, let everybody know where, where they can find you, what you're up to. Go to EliteProspects.com. We just released a draft guide. It's 11, it's 1150 pages right now. Uh it is fantastic. I would highly recommend it. Did I write like a third of it, if not more? Am I biased? Yes, but I think it's the best one that has ever been released. And it's also very aesthetically pleasing. And then if you like that, uh, go check out uh, my Twitter account, uh, Mitch L. Brown. Right on. Are you still working on the, the CHL tracking project for, through Patreon as well? Oh, yes. I don't even know how many games I've tracked this year. Probably somewhere around, around like 450. I don't really know how I'm still alive and functioning. I mean, I guess there was some debate to the last part of that, but <laughs> <laughs> alive nonetheless. Yeah. All right. The the plan today, we're going to start off broad and then we're going to kind of dial into these uh, 22 specific guys. What has been your sense of this class in comparison to the ones we've seen in recent memory? Well, it's always tough to say that a class is not good or great or below average, above average. But I think in terms of just what are we expecting in, in terms of top six, top four NHL players? Not many. There's a lot of interesting depth options. There's a lot of interesting sort of high upside swings that can be had later in the draft, but there aren't very many players that you look at and can say, this is going to be a top six guy. When you look at, say, the 2020 draft with Dawson Mercer, he was a anywhere between 10 to 25 guy, depending on who you talk to. And even everyone agreed he had top six potential in that 10 to 25 range now. It's tough to say. It's tough to say who can reasonably achieve those lofty levels. I'm noticing the same kind of thing is these tiers are gigantic, right? So it's like, you know, anywhere from five to 35, everybody has an argument for somebody, you know, you can be sold a certain way. Yeah. And another interesting part of it is just everyone missing out on either part of the season, a full season, part of their training because of COVID. 
And so you wonder if there's going to be like some sort of rebound effect the next season. And there were more players than normal who popped in the second half or in even the latter stages of the season than we're used to seeing. This season, a large chunk of our ranking came from guys who looked really good. We knew they had the tools. We knew they had the skill. It was just a matter of, will they be able to put everything together? And they did in the last couple of weeks of the season. And so there's going to be a ton of variance from NHL team boards, like NHL to NHL team, and also from public to public as a consequence of that. It really depends on more so than any other year when you're watching them, who you're watching them, and how much you weigh late season play versus early season play. Do you think that kind of opens the door to opportunity for teams to uh, really hit on their late picks, like the just with the lack of tracking and and scouting we've been able to do throughout this whole pandemic, uh, there's got to be hidden gems just littered throughout the class. There are a ton of guys who I think very reasonably could end up going in the three to sixth round range, and with a little bit of development and extra time, they could really pop. We're talking guys who could end up being equivalent to equivalent to a lot of the guys who end up going in the late first. I guess the same thing would be said for the first rounders is, you know, maybe this class on the surface right now is a little bit underwhelming, but with the same development that these uh, later guys could get, maybe they could pop in a certain way. For sure. And of course, there are some very interesting candidates like Jimmy Snuggerud, for example. He's more of a secondary guy with with the national team development program. But the flashes of skill are right at the very top of the class. We're talking step inside, look off cross slot passes where he's beating two, three players in one go. Stuff that you only see from top six forwards in the NHL. Does he do it consistently? Absolutely not. But no one else even tries some of the stuff that he does. Hmm. So there's a real runway for some of these guys to you know, basically destroy everything that I said about the draft class a few minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of us are already looking ahead to 2023 with Bedard and Mishkov and Fantilli even, but not a lot of us know anything about um, the 24 or 25 class. Now I know these kids are what, they're they're 15, they're 14, 16, things like that. But I want to know if there's the same level, because I remember hearing a couple years ago about Bedard, um, and we do have these in Dynasty hockey here, um, we have 24 and 25 picks that at this point, we don't even know who the top guys are. So we're just throwing them around like fodder. So it's, should we be hanging on to them? Is there anything to be excited about that far out? 2025, I'm not too sure. I mean, I guess you have a few guys who could really impress down the road. Like there, there's certainly a skill. Like you have Jordan Gavin, who's one of the smartest players I've seen at any level before, but it's really a question about his skating and adding strength. But the 2025 draft is extremely exciting for a number of reasons. It's headlined by Macklin Celebrini, who's going to the Chicago Steel. He overtook linemate and teammate Cole Eiserman as the number one player in this draft. Eiserman is power forward, big, strong, drive the net wide. Macklin Celebrini is a very cerebral, give-and-go, manipulative player. He always makes guys go in the wrong direction, beats them to the inside. Defensively, you're looking at Aaron Kipihario. He is a top prospect in Finland. He had a historic season. His draft minus two year was one of the highest scoring seasons. Like he outscored Line A and a few other guys as a defenseman. High intelligence, very deceptive, especially in tight. When you're looking at deception, it's more of an in tight. It's more of an open eye skill for most guys, even in the NHL. For him, he's breaking ankles with them on his back on retrievals and high pressure situations. We'll really see if he can translate that to the offensive end more consistently. Because right now his game is mostly defense, rush activation, and breakouts, which of course that's still an amazing package, especially at this stage. 
but he could become a high-end player, if not a number one defenseman, if he adds the extra offensive component. And then you go further down and you have guys like Josh Fluker, who was very impressive for Swift Current this year down the stretch, and his teammate Clark Caswell. Berkeley Catton is a very intelligent sort of modern day, give and go inside driven attacker. He was the number one overall pick in the WHL Bantam draft. And then the more I think about this, I think guys that come, guys that come to mind, Nathan Villeneuve, like power forward, uh, really in your face guy, OHL player. Uh, you have Michael Hag, who's going to Chicago Steel, a uh, really crafty shooter, playmaker, skating growth will be the big question. Miguel Marquez, a super flashy, very exciting out of Prince George. He's playing in Lethbridge next season. So it could really be a good class. And of course, like there are guys who I haven't seen yet. Those are only the players that I've watched. I, I mean, that's more than I've even ever heard of. <laughs> you definitely should be keeping an eye on those guys. And I mean, there are guys coming out of the queue who have basically historic production for their age group and could be a big group. So back to the class that we're staring down right now, the 2022. Uh, Let's look at the first round. Is there anybody that you consider as NHL ready? (laughs) It depends on if we consider NHL ready to be effective in the NHL or if we consider them can play in the NHL and not embarrass themselves. I mean, Shane Wright obviously can play in the NHL and not embarrass himself. He might actually be even in terms of more dynamic ability. He might be more dynamic in the NHL where he has better line mates, more aware line mates. And on top of that, he doesn't have to make play a short range passing game every shift. Other than that, probably not. I also didn't think Cole Sillinger was NHL ready. He was one of the first guys who made it to the NHL as a surprise and was actually good. So who knows? Just in terms of your favorites, who have been some of your guys? Like who has been the most fun to track for you? Who are you partial towards on a personal level here? Well, I would say the most interesting players in the draft. There's Pavel Mitchukov, Denton Matejchuk, Owen Pickering. I guess the natural place to start with this is Pickering. Pickering is a big guy, very deceptive on retrievals. He lacks some strength. Uh, he has some skating issues because of his lack of strength. But he's very good on his edges and tight, very quick, highly deceptive in open ice. Uh, very rare combination of skill, awareness, deception, size, and so on. Like you can really see him popping. Denton Matejchuk is smaller and even better on his edges, even more deceptive, even more active into the play. There isn't a player who works harder than Matejchuk in the draft. Like end of his shift, he'll be in the defensive zone the entire time, winning battles, chasing guys around. And then he'll still sprint up the ice to give his teammate a breakout pass option a fascinating case study and his skill level and mechanics improved so much throughout the season. And then Mendyukov is, if Matejchuk is the better version of Pickering, Mendyukov is Matejchuk on steroids and he's better mechanically. He's more physical. He's bigger. You can see an easier path to him becoming a, an above average NHL defender. He doesn't have quite the same instinctual activation game as, as Matejchuk does. But the skill level is, is significantly higher in terms of puck handling, in terms of uh, particularly how he's able to handle the puck with his feet moving through pressure and his, uh, his playmaking ability. You know, he's when we look at every other defenseman in this draft in the offensive zone, they aren't best play guys. They make positive plays. They often make good reads. Mandzukov consistently makes the best play. He manipulates he creates lanes he creates openings unlike virtually any other player in this draft class forwards included 
Now, this is this is an exercise we did last year. Uh, I remember specifically we talked about Tyler Boucher as kind of the the sandpaper, the hits guy. And I'm wondering who your take is on uh, who's the Tyler Boucher of this year. There are a couple guys come to mind, and it'll be in a slightly different way. Nathan Gauthier uh, out of the Quebec Ramparts is a guy who isn't overtly slamming players into the boards and, you know, but you can see him becoming that in the NHL because he's so strong, because he's fast, he's powerful. He plays a game that is largely based around physicality. So currently it looks like getting low, establishing body positioning, spinning off defenders, attacking the inside. He'll still do that in the NHL, but with a greater demand for physicality and hitting, he's probably going to have a lot of success doing that. And then another guy who comes to mind is Julian Lutz out of Germany. Um, He was very much a late riser for us this year. I think he only ended up appearing in like 13 or 20 games in total. He's physical, but you project someone like him who is big, who can skate. We ranked him as one of the best skaters in the draft class and wants to make contact and wants to get to the inside. You think that that's going to become a big part of his game moving forward at the next level. If you want to go really down the list, uh, Samuel Savoie from the Gatineau Olympics. Uh, he's a weapon. Him and Josh Davies from Swift Current. Both of these guys are weapons. They just hit everything in sight nonstop over and over and over and over again. Josh Davies is a menace. Players just bounce off him. Savoy just or Savoie just wants to end people every single shift. And they both bring enough skill that you can see them playing a bottom six role, likely on the fourth line in the future. Interesting. Who, who would be our guy for, for highest point ceiling? If I'm remembering correctly, last year we landed on, I think it was Eklund and Kent Johnson. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering who this year, the, who the highest point ceiling? I mean, the low risk pick is Shane Wright, just he can be surrounded by great players and you know he has the, the hype and everything. But I think Frank Nazar from the forwards is probably the, the highest point guy. Hmm. He's the most explosive sort of athletic forward in the draft class, at least from the North American side of things. Very inside driven, very strong along the boards, gets low, uses his free hand to keep defenders on his back, spins off super quick. He manipulates defenders at high speed, unlike anyone else in the draft class. There are lots of guys who can kind of slow it down and then they can make defenders go one way and then the other. He does it full speed ahead in the middle under heavy pressure. Uh, his game is is chaos a lot of the times. And sometimes it seems like he's not always using his teammates in the most effective ways. But it improved so much throughout the year, and it's so rare to find players who are both fast, inside-driven, and highly creative. You know, he's the type of guy who you could, as soon as he passes the puck, he's going to get open and be positioned to get it back. And then once he gets the puck, he's going to try to find a way to make the best play happen. And then defensively, for me, what I would be your check because point shots and power play, big guy, power play, natural kind of thing. And then... Pavel Medyukov or Denton Matejuk, depending on the way things break for them. If Medyukov is in the right system, he, he'll probably be the highest scoring defense. So he needs to be with in a team that is going to allow him to activate and be creative and do things a little bit different. If he's playing for the Colorado Avalanche, for example, where their defense is often ahead of their forwards, he could be a 50-60 point guy. Same thing with Denton Matejuk. That's the exciting stuff. There's two things that I took away from this one. Uh, first was an observation that Matthew Savoie is 10 pounds lighter and an inch shorter than Frank Nazar. And that's been Nazar's, that's the knock on him, right? Is that, you know, he's he's small and that's what's uh, causing him to, to not be drafted as high. But Savoie has a much higher draft seating. Uh, what, are, what are the differences in their game? 
Uh, well, I mean, we have Nazar 5th and Savoy 9th, so that should tell you what we think about them. But in general, I think the difference is both of them have tools, both of them clearly have athletic ability, but one uses them better. Nazar, again, more inside-driven. He's more willing to make plays. Uh, Savoy is very deferential. He wants to pass. He wants to build plays, but he's not a particularly notable playmaker. So you have a guy who wants to distribute, wants to move the puck early, but he's not making the best play in a lot of these sequences. And then you look at the physical potential. So let's go to Seth Jarvis. What makes Seth Jarvis good in the NHL? The playmaking, the shooting, of course, but part of it is that he's very good physically. He's a small guy, but he knows how to establish body positioning, how to get low, how to box out players, how to spin off pressure. That's Frank Nazar's game. Matthew Savoy is still learning how to do that. Now, are there any players that you have um, just based on these huge tiers that we've been talking about and, you know, hell, even Frank Nazar, some people have him going as, as low as 20 and you guys got him up close to five. It just kind of pads to this disparity. But I think that opens again, a a huge opportunity for people being undervalued. Who do you think is going to be five years from now? Who is the guy that we like, how did he go in the fourth round? That kind of thing. Hunter hate for sure. Hunter hate yeah? this guy, okay. top 10 skill. He doesn't just like deke people. He dekes people. He makes them miss. And then he dekes through them. And then he cuts back in their space and establishes body positioning while simultaneously setting up another move in terms of like skills, puck handling, shooting, passing ability to handle the puck in tight ability to make plays in motion. He's top 10 in the draft class. He didn't score this year. Certainly not very much. And he had some difficulty getting the puck back, but I largely think that was because of the supporting cast around him. And Barry was a bit of a tricky team this year. They had a lot of guys who were very good, very effective, but no one really had crazy point totals for reasons that I just didn't have enough time to sit down and figure out. He's the guy. There's a real chance that he ends up being a top 15, top 20 player on this draft and one of its most productive players because the skill level is absurd. Like, Everyone talks about how great Jagger Ferguson's skill level is, the handling, the shooting, you know, his ability to make plays in motion. Hate is very similar in that regard, just without the the elite shot. His shot is a, just a level below it. Well, I guess the totals are uh, kind of hindering his his draft stock. So yeah, you know, put him put him on a good team. That's the interesting thing about the end of this first round. And and going back to what you're saying, if somebody lands on Colorado and things like that, you know, maybe they don't have their first rounder this year, but going late in the first round sometimes sets you up on an earlier return. You think about Toronto here. You know, Mishiev is is apparently asking for five or six million, and Campbell's asking for six million. There's going to be openings there for guys like Nick Robertson, or possibly even somebody that might go in the in the later rounds. Let's go there um, into the 22 draft class. The top five. Uh, the second thing that I took away from point ceiling is that you left Nemich out, and that's not something that we're used to hearing this year. Uh, you got Yurichek. I think I heard Matejchuk and Mintyukov as potentially the three highest scoring defensemen. Now, what is it about Nemec that doesn't quite sell you? So looking at defensemen or modern day defensemen, specifically projecting them, a lot of it comes down to, are they doing these things instinctually versus are they just doing them because they've been coached to do them because they've been told to do them. Nemec is very much a player who is doing them as a result of coaching. He activates, but he's not usually in the right place. A good sort of barometer that I like to use is, when they're the third player in the rush. So either they're driving the middle or they're up the weak side, basically taking a forward spot. 
do they just try to sprint to the net endlessly or do they stop and space in the high slot or off the rush and just generally manage their speed and route so then they can become a passing option? And that is not part of Nemitz's game. Uh, frankly, it's, it's very concerning. It's the same thing with Kevin Korczynski. Today in the NHL, if you want to be a point-getting defenseman, if you want to be an effective defenseman, you have to be able to activate. You have to be able to read off your teammates, find space, and then make plays from there. And both Nemitz and Korczynski can make plays when they get the puck in favorable positions, but they aren't often in the right position to get that puck. The interesting part about Nemitz's game is that, funny enough, as he scored more down the stretch, I liked his game less and less. I thought he was forcing more plays. I thought he was more unaware of his options. And while he is, uh, while he has moments on the breakout of you know using the middle, drawing pressure, passing through it, He's mostly an up-the-boards guy or punt it. So he's a tricky one. There's a real chance, though, just because he has above-average tools across the board that an NHL team can pick him and kind of mold him into whatever they see him as. You know, he's clearly a coachable player. He's clearly a talented player. He has great tools. So he's one of the players, perhaps more than anyone in the top part of this draft from an NHL perspective, so like not including Matejchuk because Matejchuk isn't likely to go top 10. But Nemitz is that guy who, like, he could really go off with a team that focuses and spends a lot of time with him in the video room just because he's a, he's a pile of clay. You know, you can mold him into whatever you want to be. You know, some teams have very, uh, let's say, less than ideal ideas of what players should be, and other teams have a very good understanding. You know, if he goes to Detroit, Detroit has a clear track record of improving players like this. Look at Mo Sider or even Simone Edmondson, who I will concede is more talented, but it's the same idea with them. They were trying to build pace. So that would be a great option, but there are other teams that you're looking in the top 10, and if they pick him, it might be a little bit more concerning. So would you say it's that Nemes, you know, maybe has to make that extra move to get in the right spot where you find these other guys already are? Is that something... I think that's a pretty fair thing. I mean, his game is just not proactive in that sense, right? His game is always being on the, you know, always pressing down on the gas pedal and never changing pace, never finding other openings. It's very visually appealing if it's like sort of a cursory glance, you know, you just have it on the background, you're watching it, you just see this defenseman and playing in a pro league sprinting up and down the ice and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. But any deep inspection of it does suggest there's a lot of reason to be concerned there. Feel free not to answer this. We can always cut it out. <laughs> but uh, in the first round, would you say that Nemitz has the highest bust potential where he's being drafted? Relative to where he's being drafted? Probably not. It's tough to think of many of these guys busting, like maybe LeCarrie Mackey or Korchinski. You know, Furcus might just never have the physical development to, to be able to play. But I think Nemitz probably has the highest probability of just being a guy, you know, just a guy who plays in the NHL, does his thing, plays minutes, doesn't do anything spectacularly, has tools and you can see the potential, but he just never takes the next step into truly becoming an impact player. Let's shift to the forwards now, man. Uh, Let's talk about this top three group of forwards that we've been hearing about all year. And I'd love to hear if your top three is different. For the most part, it's been Wright, Slavkowski and Cooley. Uh, most of the times in that order. What is it about Slavkowski that he, you know, from what I'm hearing around the water cooler here is that he doesn't have the same point ceiling potentially as like Wright or Cooley without leading the jury here. I I just kind of want to get your pulse on these three guys. So the first thing is that I have Nazar above Cooley. I think it's a debate. I could be swayed either way, but I think we're looking at two 
players with similar likelihood of becoming good NHL players. But I think Nazar, for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier, has a little bit of a higher point getting upside, a little bit higher upside overall. Cooley, I don't see him as being explosive. I don't see him as being creative. I think a lot of what he gets the credit for being, you know, the fast paced Deacon guy. I don't think that's his game at all. And part of that, you can just watch him, you know, he deeks like through three guys and then cuts back and tries to do it again. He spins at the wrong times. He's forcing plays. He's overcomplicating them. He's going to be a mini Shane, Wright, Sort of the off puck guy gets open, right position, right time, moves the puck quickly. Very aware. Of course, if you give him space, just like every other NHL player, he's going to embarrass someone. That's what happens. But I think the core of his game isn't at the next level anyway, isn't going to be unlike Shane Wright's. Kofsky is a completely different beast. <laughs> There's the natural Kapokako comparison, right? I don't think it's entirely fair. I think the first thing is that Slavkovsky has better edges, particularly he uses his edges and his board skills better. Kako was, oh, cutback worked. I'm going to cut back on him again and again and again and again and again. And then he's still along the boards doing the same thing. Slavkovsky very much wants to take the puck off the boards and move it to the middle as quickly as he possibly can. And sometimes when you watch players like this, it's not always clean. You know, they lose control of the puck, it falls off their stick. And I think that's part of where the hockey sense concerns with Slavkovsky come from. The other part of it is that he throws a lot of pucks blindly into areas. If you teach him how to look over his shoulder more, will that improve? I think it probably will. And I think based on what we know about player development, one of the things that usually improves the first and improves the fastest is scanning habits. Because as you get up to a higher level, you have to just look around you more. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to make a play. It's almost sort of a natural extension. Players figure it out on their own. Slavkovsky, Cooley, Nazar, in terms of just like NHL upside, are all very close. I think Wright has the edge and probability over all of them. He's the most likely of them to become a legit top six center. Slavkovsky, probably the next, and then Cooley, and then Nazar. And then if you're ranking it strictly by upside, spoiler alert for the EP draft guide, we all voted for Frank Nazar as having the highest upside in the draft class. So if you're voting for it by upside, it would be probably Nazar, Slavkovsky, Wright, Cooley in some order. It's neck and neck. Like these, these guys are all really close. It's hard to distinguish between just what it comes down to. Again, like Wright is probably the safer one if you want points. Slavkovsky has more boom potential. Nazar can be had in the mid to late first. And Cooley, uh, depending on the right situation, like maybe I have the wrong evaluation of his game and he really pops. And that what he was doing late in the season actually is his game. So it's not really an answer. It's just a lot of words that I threw at you. But you know, this is this is where I'm at currently on this. <laughs> this is our last installment in the Dynasty series. And for most of it, it's just been Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. I could hear everybody's like rushing to their computer, changing their their rankings. And, you know, just throwing Nazar this high is is definitely going to throw a wrench into it. So uh, I'm loving the discussion that's hopefully going to come from this one. How worried are you about Slavkowski piling up all his stats against the weaker teams? Does that concern you at all? Not really. Like I would say generally it, it does. But I also didn't really watch him internationally. I only watched him in Liga, and I generally only watched him against top Liga teams. And so that's where my projection comes from. And I think he's pretty good. Like, I think he's a top three player in the draft. Generally, when you see stuff like that, it's like, yeah, of course he scored. Of course he was more effective against bad teams. Literally everyone is. It's just a matter of the proportion, right? And I know he didn't score in Liga, but I think there's a lot of reasons that go beyond just his own game. A lot of it is contextual. His teammates, his supporting cast, his style of play, 
you know, when you're a guy like that who wants to break off the boards and make plays, you need to have players around you who can then grab the puck and then make the next play. And oftentimes you didn't have that. So let's um, let's move further down the draft board here. I want to start off with uh, Liam Bichelle. I'm curious what your take is on this guy. So there's a lot of talk about how he's just big, lumbering, physical defenseman. And it's like, I mean, technically all of those are true. I mean, he, he is a big proponent of violence. I mean, every time he steps <laughs> on that ice, he's, he's looking to do some damage. But the thing that stands out to me is his puck skills, his breakouts, his awareness. None of them are great, but he tries. He's creative. He wants to be involved. He wants to make plays. Again, to borrow a term that I used earlier, a barometer that I sort of use for guys who are good on the breakout is when they have the puck on the end boards, do they try to make a play directly to the front of the net? Like, do they step to the inside to then draw the next four checker and pass? Do they make a quick backhand pass to a teammate who's open? Do they try to pass through defenders? You know, those are all signs that they have the small area game, the breakouts, the vision to be able to do it in the NHL. And he does all of those things. So there's a lot of upside to be had with him. As I mentioned with some of these other players, there's a chance that depending on who picks him, they're just going to be like, oh, big guy hits. We're just going to teach him how to hit more and be do big guy stuff more. <laughs> but to the right team, there's upside here. And not just a little bit. Like There's top four NHL defenseman ability because you have a guy who is very physical, very aware of his surroundings. He's a lockdown defender. He can defend the rush. And then he activates, he makes plays off the end boards, which is like the hardest place on the ice to make plays from. And he's got an NHL shot. There's upside to be had with him. How about this guy, Jack Hughes 2.0? I can't imagine he's the other Jack's brother. He's a bit of a, let's say, generic player. If you were to take all of the individual components of every player you ever heard about in the draft and kind of smash them all together, all the, all the vague phrases, that's him. I use this purely in irony, but two-way forward, good with the puck, skates well. He moves relatively effectively well, likely at an NHL level. He has some difficulty with his first touch of the puck, but he can deke guys, break them down, pull it through their legs, shoot off the pass, stuff like that. And he's just a very fundamentally sound defender. He's a, For me, he's a fourth liner. He's a boilerplate kind of guy. Yeah, like he'll be good. He'll be good. And like in this draft, if some team picks him in the first round, I'm going to be like, I wouldn't do that. But also, at least you're <laughs> getting an NHL player. <laughs> They'll exist. Uh, how about Luca Delbel Blues? I'm desperate for help on that last name. I That was my best shot. Hey, it won't be any better for me. So uh, Delbel <laughs> Blues is, we, had a, we have him 84th spoil our final ranking. And the draft guy does actually a very eloquent job of explaining why I did not write about him. So I'm not, (laughs) I'm not biased here, but clearly has flashes of being a very intelligent and skilled player. He'll gain the zone, cut back, find the trailer or make a crazy play to the inside. He can deceive if given space. He cleaned up a bunch of garbage in front of the net this season. He's a relatively engaged defender but his skating is very underdeveloped so much so that this entire season, I was like, Luca Delba blues is like six foot four. He's definitely six foot four. And I looked it up and he's six feet tall. And then the draft <laughs> on I think he was like six foot and a half because he just doesn't bend his ankles at all. He's very upright. And anytime he goes to turn, he, his legs basically become two by fours, just like straight from his hips down. And so that limits his stability and control. It limits his ability to use his hands, limits his ability to use his vision And so if he can get up another level where he can actually bend his ankles, he can use his edges a little bit, there's probably an NHL player to be had. However, 
that is a lot to ask for. It's a, it's a very tough one. Even down the season, down the stretch, like I think he only had two goals in the last 20 some games of the season. So he cooled off significantly. He's a late birthday as well. He's a very tough projection. Like I understand why people like him. And I think that's a perfectly valid take for me. He's a long shot to become a depth player. He's a long shot to become a bottom six guy. There's a guy here, um, five foot eight, 160 pounds, but I've heard nothing but good things about this guy. It's Lane Hudson. What do you got on him? Do you want to hear bad things about Lane Hudson? Because I can tell you bad things. Are there? There's some of those out there. Lane Hudson, obviously a phenomenal player. I like him a lot more than where we ranked him in the draft guide. I'll, I'll say that right now. I fought. I didn't get what I wanted. I don't always get what I want. I think a lot of the criticism was fair. Obviously, he's a small guy, which, okay, size doesn't matter in the way that we traditionally think it does in the NHL. You know, he will get boxed out. He will lose battles. He won't be able to reach around guys in certain ways. But in a way, being shorter is actually advantageous because you can get lower. You can push through players' knees, their hips, establish body positioning on them. He doesn't do that. Or at least he can't do that because he's, he's such an upright skater. He really lacks explosiveness because he's like a, a shorter guy who plays at a very high pace. He looks a lot faster than he is. Even in the USHL, he has major difficulty on breakouts. Uh, statistically, I think this season he was a pretty average breakout player, if not a below average one, um, largely because he can't separate from his edges. He can't explode past four checkers and he tends to panic when he has the puck sometimes like he'll get it and then just move it right away rather than the lane and cutting back likely again it could be because of the skating and then offensively his game is very uh inefficient very chaotic it's very much about like throwing pucks into areas hoping his teammates or rather trusting his teammates to be able to knock the puck down and then make the next play he lacks precision essentially in the nhl a lot of defensemen making plays just look at the stanley cup final especially with devin taves a lot of it is consistency so every touch looks the same it's in motion you're moving your head's up he doesn't have that and then the second part of it is that a lot of the touches are very short you get the puck you move it you get the puck you move it and a lot of times their high value offense comes directly off the pass so they'll get it make a quick stick handle make a quick deke and then pass it and then for a scoring chance so it really does make you wonder when you add in the skating when you add in the breakouts and then you add in the playmaking will he be able to do it in the nhl and i think Right now, no, he's not even close, but I think he's a dynamic player. I think he understands how to create advantages up the ice on breakouts when he has space. I think he understands manipulation. I think he understands how to shift his weight, how to sell that he's going in one way and then moving the other. It's just that he doesn't have the physical strength and the skating to be able to do it consistently at this level. I guess what I'm saying is I think the flaws are very different than what other people think. Like there's a real chance that he's fun AHL scorer, but it won't be because he's short. It'll be because he doesn't create offense in NHL ways. On the flip side, I'm optimistic that he'll be able to figure it out just because guys who are dynamic, they want to play a game. They understand the finer points of offense, even if they can't consistently connect, they often figure it out. The last uh, 2022 guys I want to talk about are a couple guys you brought up earlier that uh, it sounded like from the sound of it that uh, you have them a lot later, maybe just later than most people. That's Kevin Korchinski and Jimmy Snuggerud. What it is about these guys? So we have Korchinski at 19th. Um, we could have him higher. We could even have him lower. There's a lot of variance on him within our scouting staff for 
unfortunately, a myriad of reasons. As I mentioned, the activation thing, a big part of his game is joy in the play, but he's not particularly good at it. Like he skates, but he overskates space. He doesn't do a great job of maximizing what he's getting with the puck. He forces plays. He relies on the same patterns a lot of the time. Uh, his game is highly dependent on two specific things. And in this case, one of them won't work. The cutback, he keeps his hands super close to his body. He doesn't move his torso. When you cut back, you know, your feet go out underneath you and then your torso tips over the top. His doesn't do that. And so he doesn't get any explosiveness out of the turn. Might sound nitpicky, but if you want to cut back in the NHL with every single puck touch you get, you better be able to separate with it. Because even right now, what happens with Korchinski is he cuts back and then he doesn't separate. And then he cuts back again. And then he cuts back again. And you're not going to get those. In the NHL, the forecheck will simply just wrap you up and push you into the boards. You can do that in junior, and it makes for cool Twitter clips, but th this isn't a thing that you can do in the NHL as a below-average skater, right? And then defensively, he's a disaster. I don't think that's a controversial opinion at all. He's generally lost. He chases a lot. He has some difficulty like mirroring footwork again because he's such an upright skater. That's not to say that he doesn't try, and oftentimes trying is one of the biggest things. He does try. He does want to engage physically, that is, but he just can't always get there. And he's a pretty, um, let's say, reactionary off-puck defender. But like the Lane Hudson thing, he's dynamic. He understands the finer points of breakouts. So it's a projection on him figuring out how to do all these things as he grows into his body, adds strength. The plays will become more projectable. Hopefully, the patterns of his game will decrease or at least become more translatable. And you expect that the turnovers will calm down a little bit. And then Snuggerud, we had 24th, which Snuggerud's a big wild card in this draft. There's a good chance he goes top 15. There's a good chance he goes top 45. He's, again, very high skill guy in moments. There are moments where it's like, I'm not sure Shane Wright or Frank Nazar or Logan Cooley would have been able to make that pass. Regis like makes some crazy deceptive play through multiple players, you know, in motion, just really, really subtle brilliance. But he tends to be a very low pace guy. He likes to play the slow game. And the slow game is very valuable in today's NHL game. But it's always about being slow than fast. He never gets to that next gear. He never picks it up. And so what happens is he tends to waste his touches or he doesn't get them at all. So if you can unlock this playmaking ability side of things, you're getting a guy who can win battles, who knows how to protect the puck, who has really good defensive timing, not just instincts, but timing. He knows when to reach in. He knows when to poke pucks away, when to switch off his check, find a new guy. And that's a heck of a player. You know, that's offensive skill, defensive skill. It just requires a lot of imagination. I've said it before. I, th I think Snuggerud, he'll wind up being a penguin. He just, there's something about him. I get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I think Goyette's going to be a predator. I don't know why but I'm just attaching these guys to names already. But throughout all this, it seems like, you know, if you were in a fantasy league, your draft might go, you know, Shane Wright, two, Nazar, three, Cooley. Is that far off? I mean, I would try to play the numbers here and maybe see if I can get Nazar a bit later. Move back? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity to be had there. Best value in the draft. NHL prospects, um, right off the top, like who, who are some of the guys that you're excited or hopeful to see next year? Like, you know, guys, we've kind of already seen Hendricks Lapierre. Um, we've seen, you know, uh, a small taste of Marco Rossi. And then there's guys like Alexander Holtz that, that are coming up. Who are some of the ones that you're excited to see next year? The first one has to be Owen Power, right? He's unique, you know? He's a few years ago, he might not have gone first overall just because he's a big guy who doesn't really hit. 
and he doesn't really play the big guy hockey game. But he's so intelligent off puck. He's so aware. His activation is crazy. Like he very well could be the standard to which like activation is measured. Like not just not in terms of like being able to make plays like when you're in the rush or off the point, but in terms of like knowing how to get open and knowing how to support the play as a defenseman, he's exceptional. And so I'm just curious to see, will he be able to score with Buffalo? Will that lead to points or will it lead to just him posting good underlying results, but not getting much to show for it in the box score? Of course, Mason McTavish guy that we talked about last year. I am very excited to see what he can bring, not just the, the physical side, not just the shooting, but the playmaking. The playmaking continues to improve every game, every shift. He seems to show that he's more intelligent, more creative, more aware than we previously thought. I'm not saying he's going to be a top line guy, but there's a real chance he's this very uncommon top six power forward type guy, gets to the front of the net, but also has the finesse, the skill to play further out. And of course, the awareness to score goals in the NHL, because today scoring goals is largely about how you're able to get open around the net, not simply just planting yourself. And he's he's in many ways the best combination in the prospect sphere right now of the old school and the new wave. He reminds me a lot, I think, uh, of a low resolution Drake Batherson. I think there's a lot of comparisons there. Yeah, it's like Batherson, but with like more of an inside game, right? That's that's exciting. Yeah. Especially for fantasy, man. Like touch all those categories for us. Like that's those are the kind of guys we we dream about. So let's uh let's take a look a year into the future before we close out here. Um who do you got for the Calder next year? You know, a way too early call. Oh uh I'm honestly I think it might go Maddie Beneers, just because someone's gonna have to score on Seattle. And I think a lot of offense is gonna run through him. He's gonna get prime opportunity. Yeah, let's go Matty Beneers. I'm sure I'm going to like wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, no, it should have been this guy who I forgot about. <laughs> but Matty Beneers seems like seems like a good one. You know, going to be good defensively. He's going to score because he's going to have a good situation. Yeah, everything's got a bottleneck through him. So I can see it. All right, brother, that's all I got. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. I hope, you know, you'll come back next year and we can talk about uh, these big dogs, man. It's going to be, 23 is going to be a fun year. It is going to be a chaotic draft. You have guys who are posting historical draft minus one seasons in pretty much every single league. And you have just so many high skill guys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I cannot wait. That's going to be a blast. All right, man. Thank you. And one more time, uh, let everybody know where they can find you. You can follow me on Twitter at Mitchell Brown. But what you really should be doing is going to Elite Prospects, dropping down $10 or whatever it is for a one month subscription and getting our draft guide. It's the best on the market, packed full game reports, tools, stats, and of course, the profiles that are brilliantly written. They have everything you need to know about the player. I am clearly someone who did not write the draft guide, so you can trust me. It's amazing. Go check it out. All right, man. Pleasure as always. We'll be talking to you next year, hopefully. All right, brother. Thank you so much. I'll I'll see you around. See ya. All right, guys, that's our talk with Mitch Brown. I hope you guys enjoyed it. That has been 
our interview series in the Dynasty series. So these are going to be evergreen up until the draft next week. And I, I do think this is going to be one of the most, I don't want to say exciting drafts, but I think there's going to be so much disparity. Like these five guests that we've had, everybody has had a different ranking. There's 32 GMs in the NHL. They all have different rankings. A lot of the top half is pretty similar, but there's going to be guys like Chinnikov, like Cider that come out of nowhere. It's just going to be so much fun, you know, watching that draft. I hope you guys are able to uh, draft for your fantasy leagues after the draft so we can see the landing spots. I think that's going to be something we talk about following the draft. Good fits, that kind of thing. Thank you guys so much for for coming along. Thanks to Mitch. Thanks to everybody that came on the show. Dave Hall, Scott Wheeler, Tony Ferrari, and Will Scouch. And now, you know, Mitch, thank you guys so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. We have the Dynasty Mailbag coming up later this week. Get your questions in before then if you got any. We're out on Twitter at FHF Hockey. We're in the Fantasy Hockey Discord all the time. We'll catch you next time. Love yous. Love you.